Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Welcome back to episode 33 of the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined for the first time ever by Brett Cowett. Um, hey, you know, Brett, what's, what's new, dude? Uh, not much. Just getting used to living in a new state, and uh, I'm actually really excited for baseball to start coming up now that the WBC was actually fun. So I feel I feel like it's ramping up. We only got a week or so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's it's creeping up on us, which is why we're gonna do the uh, preview podcast today. I'm um, previewing all of the uh, relevant Red Sox stuff before uh, the season gets started. We're gonna make some predictions too. Um, for those of you who don't know Brett, um, he's actually going to be the new managing editor of the BP Boston site, and Brett will be joining us regularly here on the podcast as well. Um, you can find him on Twitter at, at BA Cowett, um, and you can find myself on Twitter at, at DevJake. So now that we've got that stuff out of the way, um, let's get right to it. Let's, uh, let's start talking about the roster here. So uh, a few more cuts were made today, Brett. Um, they sent Blake Swihart down to AAA. Um, Tyler Thornburg to the DL, it looks like he's going to open up there. Um, nothing too surprising, but I want to ask you, how do you see the final, final roster decision shaking out here? It seems like things are mostly settled, but, you know, any unexpected moves do you, no, do you think on I the horizon? I don't think so. I think we might see more Robbie Scott with Tyler Thornburg possibly hitting the DL for a bit. Because they don't really, because you can't really uh, put anything into Noe Ramirez at this point. He's basically just an arm, not even a live one. And um, 
Swihart was the right move. He's the only one with options. I don't know how they ran out of options on Vasquez so quickly, but they did. Um, I don't see anything really shaking shaking up unless they decide for some reason to keep Sam Travis on the roster because he really needs a seasoning in AAA. I mean, the only spots that really up for grabs are the bullpen, and Robbie Scott's already there. The one chance he had to get in there was Abad losing his job, and Barrett was committed to him. So he was going to be a lock no matter what. So nothing really crazy I see here. The only there might the roles might be surprising, but I don't think the twenty-five man roster is going to show any surprises in terms of personnel. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think we're going to see any surprises. It looks like uh, the bench spots are going to go to um, Holt, Rutledge, Young, and um, Vasquez. It looks like Leon is going to get the start as the opening day catcher here. Um, and because of the injury to Tyler Thornburg, looking like a possibility that Robbie Scott sneaks in with that final bullpen spot and that the bullpen might actually consist of three lefties to start the year. How do you feel about that? I'm all right with it. Robbie Scott's fine against righties. He's not completely terrible, but you do have to shield Abad and Scott away, even if Scott does have this weird quirk where he changed his arm slot to righties. He's still not good against them. So you're gonna so you're gonna see a bit more usage of Ke- you're gonna see a bit more usage of Kelly and such, and honestly, you really cannot wait for Thornburg and even Carson Smith to get back because right now the right-handed side and even the late inning roles really need to have some depth there because all you have is Joe Kelly and Craig Kimbrell, and everybody's kind of worried about Kimbrell. He's not going to be elite like he was at the beginning of the decade, but you weren't really expecting that. So you're worried about him slowly starting to regress since we have seen some of it in the last couple of years. So you're hoping you get that death back sooner rather than later. Do you feel at all like um, Heath Henry and Matt Barnes will at all step up and, and fill some of those spots? Because, I mean, they, they both performed pretty well at different times last year. And when we had Brian McPherson on the podcast uh, last week, he made an interesting point about Heath Hembry and his sequencing versus left-handed uh, batters where he was pretty much just pumping fastballs the whole time, and that's been addressed a little bit. Do you see either of those guys taking a step forward this season? Matt Barnes is probably the most likely. I don't see Hembry because, as you and uh, my person said, he that sequencing is just so bad, and even though it's been addressed – it's, he's still just not great against lefties themselves. There's no way you're going to give him a full inning unless you have a few runs. So I can see Matt Barnes taking a step forward. He's got the he's got the velocity. I wouldn't say stuff because that's Joe Kelly's thing. But he's got the velocity. He's got some of the movement. That curve is a real hammer. And we've seen him succeed before. He's ha- He's gone through ups and downs. But we've seen him succeed before in a tougher role, like seventh inning role. So if anybody from those two guys – so if either of those two guys are going to step up, I'm going to put my money on Matt Barnes. Yeah, I I, I do like Barnes. Um, I don't know how much I'm expecting him to get better than last year. I think what we, we saw from him last year that was a little bit frustrating at times was he could be good and then he could be bad. The consistency was a little bit off with him. I don't know why, but I still – really really like Heath Hembry and I know that he really got it together against righties last year and was very effective um, but man if he can even be serviceable against left-handed uh, hitters I think he could be really special I really like a lot of the attributes that he brings he seems to be pretty fearless when he's in there yeah that was his one thing against lefties is that he would allow a 380, 338 average against 
and even though it's a small sample size, it's not even 16 innings, that's still pretty glaring. Yeah. Even even with only those even with only those few innings, not even two full games worth. So yeah, if he if he even incrementally, even marginally, if he improves against lefties, you can see a step forward from him, especially because him against righties, he has a 200 average against. That's fantastic. Like if he improves the other side, if he improves against southpaws, we can see a whole new Henry. I mean, I could see him coming in dealing with the heart of the Blue Jays lineup multiple times. You know, a right-handed heavy team like that. He's yeah, he's yeah. definitely going to be a weapon in this division. It's. I mean, he could be better against the Blue Jays than Junichi Tazawa, who you know was batting practice half the time. Yeah, I'm glad I don't have to talk about him this year. Um, <laughs> that guy got really old very quickly last season, and I know that will uh, will offend our former colleague Matt Collins, who's now at Over the Monster, if we we trash on Janichi Tozawa. So I'll move on from that. But um, <laughs> what I want to talk about now is the lineup because I've been like pulling my hair out trying to come up with what my optimal lineup would be, and I was talking with our our colleague Ben Carsley about this on Twitter a little bit and I just can't figure out where to put this where to put people in this lineup and some guys are are no-brainers but the idea of batting Xander Bogart sixth in this lineup just makes me feel dirty like putting him anywhere below the four spot makes me feel dirty Um, and I just I don't know how you can do that to the guy who was the starting shortstop in the American League for the American League All-Star team last year um, and for a guy that has that ability. So I keep going back and forth and trying to piece this thing together, but maybe him in the sixth spot is actually where he belongs right now. Uh, tell me what you're thinking with this lineup because I can't figure it out. I you know, I wouldn't mind Bogarts in the leadoff spot since he was so focused on making contact last year. And the Red Sox don't, other than Mookie Betts, but you're going to put him in the heart of the order anyway. They don't really have a prototypical slap hitter speed guy that gets on base a lot. You're gonna have to get, you're gonna have to get a guy that has some pop, but does but gets a lot of contact. If you put if you put uh, Bogarts up front, he'll put the ball in play. He'll take his walks. He'll swing and miss a few times. But he focused so much on contact over the last two years, and that really really fueled his rise. So if you put him in, if you put him up in the front of the lineup, I think that could do a lot better than say. Dustin Pedroia or Andrew Benintendi, who could we could go back to how Farrell set up the 2013 lineup, where he put more his power hitters one slot down and had more well-rounded hitters one, two, three. So you could go Bogarts, maybe Benintendi, Pedroia, and then start getting to the power guys like like Hanley Ramirez and Mookie Betts. So you could move that down and just have a bunch of really solid, not going to hurt you hitters up front. You don't need to have a number three hitter that's going to mash, but obviously you want them up. But then again, there's obviously the argument that you want to give him more at-bats. So really, it's it's tough to organize this. It's not an embarrassment of riches, but it's like too much of a good thing. So it's you don't want somebody at Bogart's caliber at sixth, but with the way that the Red Sox are set up, someone who is a good hitter, Bogart's, Pedroia, Benintendi, is going to end up at that spot. And that's just going to be the hard... Hard choice. I'd probably choose Ben Intendi, but just to give, just to not put pressure on him being in the number two spot. Right. But it's obviously a really tough call, and Bogarts being there wouldn't make me mad. It would just kind of, it would just make me shrug and say, well, that's ha- that's what happens when you've got five really good hitters still on the team. Yeah, it's a good problem to have, no doubt. 
I am int- intrigued by the idea of batting Bogarts first, but I just think that Pedroia has been so good in that position. He's been such an on-base machine um, when he's been put in that position that it's it's tough for me to talk myself into moving him out of a position where he's been really successful. Yeah, and he's got a really high contact rate as well, and he shows a willingness to steal bases. He's got some sneaky speed. And honestly, from last year, Pedroia had a better contact rate than Bogart, so it's not a bad idea whatsoever. And he's got and he's and he's got the experience, yeah. So it's not a bad idea. I'm not against it, but I'm not like super gung ho about it since it just seems it just seems almost weirdly out of place since I'm not used to not having like an Ellsbury type guy up at the front of the lineup. Right. Because we had Mookie Betts the last couple of years, so that was different. Then he kind of exploded, and they had to move him down. So it's it's tough kind of having to adjust to that. You just kind of have to have a guy who's just a solid all-around hitter who can make contact, and Pedroia and Bogarts both fill that role. So it's just going to be between one of those two, I think. Do you feel strongly one way or another about Betts batting in the third position or the cleanup position? No. I mean, he might be good in the number two spot since statistically you want your number two hitter to be your best hitter, mm-hmm. but I'm not against him batting in the in the cleanup or the third spot. He's shown that he has real power potential he's got power to all fields he's just an amazing hitter there's no way i can put enough superlatives on that so it's i wouldn't i don't have a real issue with that at all it just the lineup can be tinkered around a lot and i just hope that they find a spot that they can settle on or they have a lot of variables that they can really adjust to good effect would you ever consider batting benintendi leadoff every now and then yeah if he if he continues on his streak that he was la- that he had last year, where he had the really good 130 at bats, if he continues on that pace, I think we might as well. Whenever we're feeling Pedroia is starting to hit for more, if Pedroia is starting to hit for more power, we need to move him down. Like just when Pedroia is actually healthy and hitting for more power, we can try him in the leadoff spot. I don't think that's I don't think that's out of the question. And honestly, I think he'd welcome the challenge. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I mean, he, he does fit all the characteristics. He makes a good bit of contact. He's a pretty fast guy, good OBP. Um, yeah, it seems like that could work. Um, so so give it to me as you have it, Brett. What's your, what's your lineup if you had to make one today? I think I'd go Pedroia, Benintendi, Mookie, and then we're going to go with, obviously, Hanley Ramirez. But after that, it kind of starts getting a little bit tricky. You might just go with Jackie Bradley Jr. just to balance it out because he – he has a ton of power, but it's just up and down. Like you saw like in BP 2017, the best description of him was watching him is like watching Clay Buckles, but the batter version because he's he's got so he's got such a high ceiling, but when he's bad, he is bad. But I don't mind him being in the number 5 spot to give to just give extra powers cuz he can spray doubles and homers all over the place. Right. So he'd be decent in the 5 spot, and then you'd go Bogarts in the 6th. Probably, probably Moreland for seven. Mm-hmm. I want to instead of Sandoval. Actually, no, Sandoval would be better. It, it you could honestly switch between them early on since right. you don't know what you're gonna get out of Sandoval. Even though Sandoval looks fantastic, by the way, but you could probably go between seven and eight. Sandoval, Moreland, switch it up, whatever. And then obviously ninth, you have Vasquez or Sandy Leone because they're not going to be your best hitters, even if Sandy Leon's going to set the world on fire again. So obviously they're going to be at the bottom of the lineup. 
I just I just can't do it. I can't do the JBJ <laughs> thing over Bogarts. I can't give JBJ more at bats. And the the reason why is just what you said. I mean, JBJ slumps like nobody's business. When he's hot, he's hot. But man, um, can that guy really slump? And Bogarts was one of the best two strike hitters on the team last year too. I just for me, this is the way that I have it, and I guess things could change for sure. Um, I have it Pedroia, Benintendi, Betts. I actually have Bogarts in the four spot, Hanley, um, followed by JBJ, Sandoval, Moreland, and Leon. Um, I know that it's not optimal, and you have a, a cluster of righties there, um, but I think you just got to have to figure out how to get him more bat- at bats. Yeah, that's you. Uh, that's that's always going to be the problem with this lineup. It's like 2011 all over again, where they had the where they had a really good offensive lineup on paper, and you just didn't know where to place everybody. So that's really going to be a small sticking point to Farrell, which he doesn't really need more. I mean, he people wanted him fired in May last year, so it's going to be more of a sticking point for him to to set that up. Come, at least this year, because it's, there's so many good hitters they have, and there's so many good guys that you can put one, two, and you're always going to have some guy batting fifth or sixth that you don't want there because they're so much they're a better hitter than that. But that's what's going to have to happen since they're going to have Mookie and Hanley like being three, four. So you're always going to have one one or two guys just kind of getting left out of the front too, even though they're really good hitters. Yeah, no good answers, no bad answers. It just seems like somebody's going to have to get shafted at some point, and I'm probably not going to feel good about it either way. But if they're winning games, whatever. Um, Bogarts might end up factoring better towards the front of that lineup anyhow, considering he wants to run a little bit more this year. But um, it'll be really interesting to see how that shakes out. Um, One other thing I wanted to ask you was, um, in terms of, prospects who are down in the system do you figure any of the top 10 or 15 guys getting a call up this season um for any substantial period of time uh sam travis might uh if moreland isn't working out sam travis will probably get some extended run even though he is not he's also you know not left-handed but sam travis is worth a shot he showed some potential this spring he need but like swihart he needs some seasoning in the minor league since he was gone with an ACL tear for most of the year. And he looked good coming back. It's just he needs that he needs that extra time in the minors since he's not going to get it in the majors with Moreland basically being a – just basically filling in. So it's – we might – we the thing is with him, he's kind of a trade deterrent to a first baseman if they need one. Right. One of the most angry, one of the most anger-inducing things is people trying was uh, thinking the Red Sox would have to give up anything of value for Eric Cosmer, and you don't think he's as bad. I know your opinion. You don't think he's as bad as people seem to think he is, but the, his defense has really eroded over the last couple last couple of years, maybe even three years. Even though his offense has spiked every now and then, but he's had out of five seasons, he's had I believe two positive ones in terms of WARP, and that, that and that's the problem with trading for him is that he could be mar- only marginally better than Moreland and you might have to pay a premium to get him. So that's why Sam Travis, I hope, is going to be something of a fallback if Moreland really does not start doing anything. Yeah, I agree with you. In fact, I think that Sam Travis could be called up too as the the first man up if um, Hanley Ramirez deals with any sort of lingering injury issues to that shoulder or if anything 
tends to get worse in that regard. Um, when it comes to Hosmer, I actually tweeted this this weekend. I don't think that there's a single player who scouts and sabermetrics people uh, are more split on than Hosmer because when you talk to scouts or you like read scouting reports or manager commentary about the guy, it's like you're reading about a Hall of Famer. Uh, and and when you go and you pull up his his baseball prospectus page and you're looking at his advanced metrics, you're just like, this guy kind of sucks um, a lot of the time, and he sucks at a decent amount of things. Uh, <laughs> but you know, then he then he does come up and and put together big at bats in events like the World Baseball Classic and in the playoffs, and he's just a really confusing player to me. And I don't know if there's anybody else who is that confusing to people. Yeah, it's pretty. He's pretty polarizing because when he does show up, he shows up always. It always seems like he shows up in the big moments and makes something happen. There's no doubt that he seems to have like a pension for that. But also, there's a thing where when you're not watching, it seems like when you're not watching him or when you're just watching him on the ca- when you're watching him casually, he seems to have he seems to just bottom out quite a lot. Like he loves pulling the ball, even though he's better when he's not and spraying the ball to all fields. Like one thing that happened to him way too much last year is he. Roll, he roll his wrist over way too early and ground out really weakly the second. Yeah. So it's definitely, it might be mechanical or might just be mental, because who knows? Because everything's so split. It's well, it's like what you said. It's confusing. But it's with him, I would just not rather not take the chance, and hopefully the Red Sox don't either. But who knows? With Dombrowski, he's done crazier moves. So. Yeah, I'm sure he likes him because he's a, he comes from that traditional uh, scouting background. So I, I think that he probably thinks he's better than he is. Um, in terms of, of the prospects, I, I agree with you. I think that it's probably going to be Sam Travis or no one else. I think we could see Rafael Devers get a cup of coffee later in the year. But um, the way that Sandoval looks right now, I have a pretty good feeling that he's going to be able to stay healthy. Um, and if he's not, if he's injured for any time period or if he's just completely ineffective, I think that the move is going to be to um, call up Marco Hernandez, which um, I guess still counts as a prospect. I mean, he still has his eligibility. Um, he's not you know, a traditional prospect in, in terms of a guy that we think is going to be able to fill in and be a major league regular sometime down the road. I think he's, he profiles certainly more as a utility player, but if anything were to happen to Sandoval or Pedroia or anything like that, uh, Marco Hernandez does figure to be the guy to get the call. I'm very excited about Marco Hernandez. I think he's one of the main reasons why Brock Holt seems a little bit more expendable now. So if he, because he was, I think he, I don't know how well he's hitting in uh, the Grapefruit League, but every time I, every time I see, every time I see him, he's doing something good. It seems like he's got the Eric Hosmer thing going on. Every time I look, he's doing something great. Yeah, he's batting like 500 in spring training. He, he's, but he's hitting a ton of fastballs. So that's the thing. Oh yeah, yeah. That honestly, that might just be good for him to get your confidence up when they actually show you the bendy pitches and you can actually adjust. But he, but since he can play almost every position on the infield except a, what first base, I think. Mm-hmm. I think he could actually be a sizable, a not a sizable, but a good replacement to Holt if they really feel like trading him, because Holt really should not be getting more than four hundred at four hundred at bats a year. And I think I might be generous at that one. You're talking about a 2015 All-Star, you know. Oh yeah. <laughs> but he's he's really just not built for a starting role because he gets fatigued, or he'll play, th- or like last year he'll try to play through injury and it'll come out like three weeks later and piss everybody off. 
Um, it's he really should just be a super utility player, but not a st- but he's not the the starting quality super utility player like uh, Ben Zobrist was. And Marco Hernandez won't need to start, but he's under team control for a lot longer, and he can play as and without he doesn't need to play the outfield, but he can play all the infield spots that he needs to. And the Red Sox can just call on their Bryce Brent's replacement for the fifth or fourth outfielder spot if they need to. Yeah, it certainly seems like uh, it, he'll be up at least at, at some point this year to to get some time and. I'm for for that as well. I mean, if they can get anything of value for Brock Holt at some point, if they need something um, down the road, I'm all for trading him because I do feel that good about Marco Hernandez as well. Um, but by and large, I mean, this team is going to be the, the team that it is uh, for most of the year. There's not a whole lot left in the farm system that is true immediate impact talent outside of Sam Travis and Marco Hernandez who don't figure to have that big of roles. So, um you know, the, the club, as we look at it on opening day, is hopefully how it's going to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that in mind, um, who do you see as the biggest threat to this team in the division? The AL East doesn't expect to be quite as strong as it was last year, probably because of some of the departures that we've seen. But I want to know how you see the division shaking out this year and who you think the biggest threats to the Red Sox are going to be. I mean, the biggest threats uh, are still going to be the Blue Jays and Orioles. We've got the Rays still on the outside looking in with some good pitching, but they have nothing in terms of offense or depth, it seems like. They've, still, they've got a decent amount of prospects, but they've still got a few a year or two to pan out. Uh, the Yankees are there, but the Yankees' number two is Michael Pineda. Yeah. So I'm not a huge supporter of their starting rotation. Their bullpen's still going to be good, but their starting rotation's really iffy. They're still going to be starting Jacoby Ellsbury, who was a – complete negative last year he couldn't really hit he couldn't really defend anymore chase headley's chase headley's still probably going to start at third which he can't really hit that much anyway and they they would really benefit more from selling again and building up that farm system even more so i don't see them as a legit threat but if they're fueled by their youngsters to being in contention by the halfway mark we might have to revisit that uh, but the Blue Jays, the Orioles will always be contenders as long as they've got that offense that hits like a homer every three at bats. Yep. So that's their pitching doesn't scare me as much as the Blue Jays because they're still going to be starting guys like Tyler Wilson, who is basically batting practice to half the Red Sox lineup, and especially Mookie Betts. So they're to me they're not as big of a threat as what we can see from the Blue Jays because they've got a legitimate one-two pair in Stroman and Sanchez. And as good as Sanchez was last year, I don't see him regressing that much. And Stroman, as we saw in the World Baseball Classic, he's that good. So it's really hard to discount them, especially with their bullpen starting to round to form with Roberto Ozuna, Roberto Ozuna and uh, Biagini. And their offense lost, did lose Encarnacion, but they still got they've still got Bautista, even though he's slowly on the decline. They've still got a bunch of youngsters like Devon Travis, who still need to get going. So it's 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 there. They've got they've got the pieces. If everything but everything needs to break right for them to really be neck and neck with the Red Sox for the foreseeable season at least because it's they're projected what about five or six wins fewer than the Red Sox. Yeah, I think the current projection is somewhere around 91 wins for the Sox and somewhere around uh, 87 for the Blue Jays. 
Yeah, they're going to have to have a lot of things break right, like another pitcher breakout or something like that, for them to stay neck and neck with the Red Sox because really I don't their offense is decent, but it's not going to be fantastic. You're going to it's going to be led by Josh Donaldson, you're still going to have out to you, so as I said, but you're still going to deal with a lot of guys who either are declining like Bautista and Tulowitzki. And really, it's just going to be tough for them to even match the offense or the pitching of the Red Sox. So it's going to be tough. So even though they're the biggest threat, I don't see them as right in the rearview mirror for Boston. Yeah, they are still tremendously right-handed, too, in that lineup. I do like the addition of Devin Travis back to the lineup. If he if he can stay healthy, um, he could be a good table setter for them. I like that they added Kendrys Morales as a switch-hitting bat in the middle of that lineup. Um, I think the thing that I like most about the Blue Jays is the stability that they have at the rotation. You know that you're going to get uh, innings from Marco Estrada and J.A. Happ. They're going to be decent to solid innings from those guys. I really, really like Francisco Liriano this year. Um, I, he's been amazing in the spring. I know we can't glean too much from that, but I really like him. I love the way that Stroman looks as well, and uh, Aaron Sanchez showed a lot last year. So I think that that rotation has potential to be uh, even better than the Red Sox rotation, and I, I think that it, it lacks certainly at the top the same way that the Red Sox rotation does, but... Um, it's certainly deeper, and I would feel better about those guys staying healthy than I would the back end of the Red Sox bullpen. So I have it clearly. I have it Red Sox, uh, Blue Jays, um, followed by uh, Baltimore, and then I have the Yankees, and then I have Tampa Bay finishing last. I just don't see how that team hits enough to uh, really stay in contention. And I also think that Tampa Bay could be sellers. I think the Yankees could be too, but... Um, Tampa Bay could easily sell Cobb and uh, Archer at some point this year, considering the price that um, pitchers are fetching on this market these days. They could probably get a, a pretty substantial haul for one or both of those guys. Yeah, I could see that. New York and Tampa Bay being sellers is probably what they're going to end up doing. There's not, They look like, like you're going to get the headlines of, oh yeah, Greg, Bird, Greg Bird's looking really great, and Chris Archer's not going to be as bad as he was last year, which... That's that's fun and all, but the rest of the team is just not there. You've obviously got the stars, but they don't really – they don't have the offense, the pitching, or really the bullpen to match what the Red Sox are doing right now. And Baltimore, as I said, they're there, but they, their pitching is not scary whatsoever. And Toronto, we've just discussed, is could be, could be contenders, could be really close to the Red Sox, but a lot of things have to break right. I really like their ad of Steve Pierce. I love that guy. I wish the Red Sox had Steve Pierce. Steve Pierce is <laughs> Steve Pierce is the guy. If you look on the Zips leaderboard of Fangraphs, if you look on their projections, Steve Pierce is the guy who appears on the front page with 300 PAs. <laughs> it that's it happens every year and it makes me laugh every single time because I run like in one of these fancy leagues. We go on we go on some advanced stats and we go by points. It's Roto. And Steve Pierce is always one of the first guys drafted in like the five first five rounds because one of the new guys doesn't realize that it's only 300 PAs. That's so so it's, funny. it's always like I always see him and it makes me laugh. I'm like you, I'm like you, you liar! You're lying to me. Stop it. <laughs> so, um, how do you feel about the Blue Jays rotation versus the Sox rotation? I'm curious if you feel the same way that I do about that. You were. I was pretty much agreeing on you. The front end of the Red Sox rotation, the one-two and Price and Sale, conceivably healthy, of course. That is better than 
the one two of the Blue Jays for sure. But once you start getting deeper into the Red Sox rotation, you go down. You have to go down a little bit in talent and skill, even though he did win the Cy Young in Rick Porcello, and then it's another drop there to probably Eduardo Rodriguez, and then the fifth starter is Shrug. Yeah. With the Blue Jays, they don't drop very hard. It doesn't drop off very hard with Estrada and Hap. I, with Estrada and Hap, and they both keep the ball in the park. They both keep it on the ground. Estrada has some homer problems, but, I mean, that's what's going to happen when you throw 89, even with a really good changeup. Right. So, it's... I do believe that their, their stability in the rotation... It looks more viable because it can stay healthy. But the Red Sox probably have more star power in the front. So mm. at least if it was a war of attrition, the Blue Jays would win by a landslide. But we'll see over 162 games with the Red Sox having Chris Sale starting 30 and Price hopefully starting 25. Yeah, we'll see about that. I'm I'm very skeptical of that last statement. David <laughs> Price starting 25. I'm actually skeptical of the uh, Drew Pomerantz in the rotation too. I just I am so worried about those those guys, both of their elbows. And last time we had this show, we did um, do it right after we got the triceps news about Pomerantz, and we didn't really know too much about it, and we found out that it wasn't as big of a deal. But it would not shock me whatsoever if by June we get the news that both of those guys need to go under the knife. Wouldn't shock me one bit. No, it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me either. Obviously very depressing, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me. But the only thing that gives me hope right now is that David Price apparently is Superman in terms of his healing. And Pomerantz got shelled for two innings in his last start and then was lights out for the next two because he said, he said, and I quote that he figured out something, just things clicked and all of a sudden he was lights out. So there's some hope there, but I don't doubt them needing surgery by the by the halfway mark. Either. Who was no. this you said that said something clicked? I think it was Pomerantz. Pomerantz, Pomerantz is getting did. shelled. Is getting shelled by the Blue Jays, I think it was. Uh-huh. And then, like in the third and fourth innings, if something clicked, and he was like, "Oh, I'm just gonna throw fat. I'm just gonna burn these guys." And I don't think he gave up like more than one hit. I'm like, "All right, sure, you you do you, Pomerantz. I mean, they get frustrating for you." He's so full of shit. I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> That guy's just telling us what we want to hear. I'm so skeptical of them. I hope I'm wrong, but I'm just very skeptical right now. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, so do you have the Yankees better than Tampa Bay? It seems like you have the same three at the top uh, as I do, or do you have the, the Rays actually being a better team than the Yanks? I have the Yankees being better, uh, but not by very much, maybe like one or two games. It could go either way if Tampa Bay's pitching goes above and beyond what we expect them to be, which is pretty high expectations. Their pitching's pretty good. Yep. But I see the Yankees up there. I think what could vault the Rays a bit higher is if uh, Jake, like Jake Erdrizzi, who was who was the third best pitcher against right-handed hitters in the majors last year, and number one I think was Porcello. Mm. And uh, if he improves any more against lefties, I think we could see a real boost from him for the Rays and probably vault them past the Yankees and maybe push the Orioles a little bit. So just how hard was he getting hit against lefties? Because that must account for a lot of his ERA. It was pretty bad from what I remember. But he was... I've always liked him as a player. I really... every The moment they tra- the moment the James Shield trade went down, I was like, well, great. You're just going to give the Rays more pitchers that they can profit off of. Thanks a bunch there. Yeah, um, and at the time, he was like the only good pitching prospect that was in that system. 
because oh, I, got... I think Ventura had just come up, right? Or was that before Ventura came up? I think that was before. They, I don't even think he, I don't even think he re- he reached the majors as part of the uh, Royals. But okay, I think I got it mixed up. He was best against. He was like the third best against lefties with a 189 average against. Oh. Righties hit him to the tune of 272. Well, that's a, a real problem. <laughs> yes, <laughs> with a 487 slugging. So if he if he improves any against same sided against same sided opponents, I think you could see a real boost for the Rays from him. Yeah, you know the whole thing about not being able to get righties out just really kind of gets you in this game. Despite being a right-handed pitcher, it's a very weird reversible tune split. Yeah, that is weird. Um, let's move outside of the division because I think we're uh, we're pretty much on the same page in terms of that. Let's move to the American League. Give me your top five teams in the American League, including the Red Sox. Um, just give me the five best. I'm gonna go with Cleveland because I've always loved the rotation and at, they've always needed right-handed power. And getting Encarnacion, I think, is probably the thing that'll make them that'll just put them over the top. Um, then I'll go with Boston, Houston, and then I think I'd go with Seattle, and then, ah, man, I think Toronto. I think I'd go with Toronto on this one. I don't really believe in the Rangers right now. Whoa. Okay. Um, so we've got some stuff to talk about. Um, (laughs) I'm with you on the Indians over the Red Sox. I just think they're a better constructed team right now. I think there's a little bit less that... Um, can go wrong with the Red Sox for them to have the year that they should. Uh, I think that that we've seen the Indians uh, in the postseason last year um, lose two of their best arms and um, still be able to succeed, and I think they got better, and I love the addition of Michael Brantley back to the lineup and Edwin Encarnacion, like you mentioned. So um, I think they're the best, followed by the Red Sox. And then I actually have the Rangers, um, which was super close for me with Houston, uh, I have Houston fourth, and I have Seattle third. But those, I want to be clear, those three teams in the American League West, um, if I wake up tomorrow, I could switch any one of them because I oh, think yeah. that they're all um, super close. But I do think that all three of those teams are slightly better than Toronto right now. I'm curious to see um, what your reason for not liking the Texas Rangers is. Uh, they had, despite being, having the best record in the ALS year, they had a plus eight run differential. The Indians had a 101 and the Red Sox had a 184. So the Rangers had to win a ton of one-run games, and then on top with a really really shaky bullpen. Even though the bullpen might improve a bit with Dyson and Bush, mm-hmm. I don't know. Even with the addition of Mike Napoli, I really. I really don't know if they can replicate that same record in one-run games because that is so – that's like Babbitt for big teams. It's so – it can go up and down over the course of the season. It's just pure luck. So I don't really think that they could succeed that much with just an eight-run differential again. And I see them probably being even with Toronto, maybe a little bit worse depending on how Toronto breaks with its offense. But even with Hamels and Darvish leading the way in that leading the way in that staff, I – I don't have that much faith in them, but I think they will compete for at least a wild card spot. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I was in the same boat as you um, going into the end of last season. I was like, yeah, Texas is not for real. I don't, I don't believe it. The, I quoted the same thing about the run differential. But when I started to look at their team a little bit more this spring, I was noticing, you know, a healthy Shinsu Chu. He's a huge OBP guy. Um, he's not going to have to play the field this year much. I really like him. 
I really like the addition of Mike Napoli to that lineup. I think Nomar Mazzara is going to get better. I mean, we forget this kid is not even 22 years old yet, and he came in and did what he did last season. Uh, and then I really loved what I saw from Jerickson Profar during the uh, World Baseball Classic. The kid can hit. I mean, there's a there's a reason why he was the number one prospect uh, in all of baseball a few years back. Uh, so I think that he could have a good season. And then they get a full year of Jonathan Lucroy and hopefully a full year of you Darvish. And I just think that the way that uh, Lucroy not only contributes to the team offensively, but the way that he manages the staff and the bullpen um, could be a pretty big boon for that team that uh, many people around baseball always note the, the culture of the team. You know, they say they have mm-hmm. one of the best cultures. So um, I, I kind of like them a lot more than I did going into this season. Yeah, uh, I can see coming that. out yeah. of the season, I should say. Yeah, yeah, I can see that with the full with the full year of a bunch of the guys they didn't have for the first half. But it's just to me, I don't know how much they're gonna prevent some runs, sure. But I don't know how much they're actually gonna score even with that because you're gonna still have Beltre's still good. He's amazing defender even at his ripe old age. But I don't know how if he's going to decline or stay even. The bet my bet's on declining even a little bit. Um, Profar's really good. They're gonna he's probably gonna be their super utility guy, and I'm I'm honestly excited to see how he does because I we've been waiting for a full year Profar for a while. So it's it's interesting to see what they where they go with that. Uh, I think their bullpen's a little bit thin. They I think they had like four or five different guys close from them last year, but um. Yeah, I can see where you're going with that one. I, I could believe it too because that ALS, those top three are crazy. And then you have people whispering that the Angels might even make a run, which I'm kind of like, yeah. So it's – it's the ALS is going to be the toughest division in baseball for probably this year and maybe even the next one. Yeah, I'm with you there. I, I think there's a lot of intrigue there. And um... – to, to point out to all the listeners, I'm the crazy one here to suggest that the Rangers could be this good because projection systems are right with you, Brett. I mean, they don't like the Rangers um, nearly as much as the Astros, for sure. And the Astros, um, there was a great article, I think it was by Jeff Sullivan at Fangraphs, that talked about how they have pretty much swapped the most strikeouts for contact of anybody by the additions they made to their lineup. So that lineup's going to be long all year. I think they're still a little bit short on pitching, but they have such a great bullpen, and they have a few bullpen arms that can go multiple innings, um, which I think can solve some of those woes. Um, The Mariners, I think, will be good. I still worry about their starting pitching depth a little bit and whether it can stay healthy. But explain to me the Angels, because I look at that team, and I just don't see it happening. I, I see just way too many question marks. I know that they improved defensively at a few positions and added a little bit of offense, but... I don't know. I, I still don't like that club very much. I, I have them fourth in the division. Yeah, I don't I don't see the I don't see the energy with, when it comes to the Angels because from what I'm seeing, you're gonna have Mike Trout, Cole Calhoun, a few other hitters like Escobar if he doesn't fall off if he doesn't fall off the face of the earth with this hitting. You're gonna have some guys who are just gonna sell out for power like Crone and Espinosa, and you've got you've always got Simmons who's gonna make a ton of value out of his defense. But what people are really, really focusing on are the pitching. You've got Shoemaker, you've got Richards, and you've got Tyler Skaggs, who, in a weird bit of Kevin Towers' mismanagement, (laughs) he was throwing around 90 miles an hour when he was in Arizona. And it was everybody's like, where did his velocity go? The moment he gets traded 
to to the Angels, he starts throwing 94-95 again. So it sounds like the Diamondbacks try to mess with his throwing motion and end up taking away like five bits of miles, five like points off his miles an hour. Yeah, everything that was special about the kid, they just changed. Yes, and then once he goes to the Angels, he instantly starts getting good, but then needs Tommy John. So the thing is with him, the thing was with him, and especially Richards, that they are Skaggs gonna be recovering from Tommy John and Richards. I'm thinking underwent like an experiment, like some experimental treatment because apparently he was either going to go under the knife or do this. Yeah, I think he I, got PRP. Yeah, it was it was some weird form of that. And people, I like Richards. He's got some command problems, but I do like him because he keeps the ball in the park better than any other pitcher on that staff. He and he still strikes out a bunch of guys. Uh, people really like Shoemaker. He's got some good raw stuff. The stats on exa- the like FIP doesn't exactly agree. But he does have some potential, even if it's not going to be amazing. He could be a solid number three, number four. And you've got you've got guys like Jesse Chavez, like shoring up the back end. And Camber Drosian is going to be one of the better relievers this year. But there's nothing in that bullpen that you can rely on because they have the shuffling corpse of Andrew Bailey back, and then Houston Street for some reason still has a job in late innings there. Yeah, and they still continue to give him the ball, and he like <laughs> says that he's going to retire if he doesn't have the ball in the ninth inning, which I would invite if I was them, but I bet yeah. they just give it back to him. Yeah, I mean, the last time they faced the Red Sox, Dustin uh, Pedroia had a homer off them, and they won the game in the ninth inning. So it's... I, I just don't know why they still use him in closing situations, but with Street injured again, uh, Bedrosian should run away with that job. Fantastic reliever, probably just as good as almost any almost any you could find. I wouldn't say the top like five closers, but he's really but he's probably really underrated since he's hidden on the Angels and they don't exactly get a lot of notoriety. Mm-hmm. But it's all the pitching here. I mean, the the Angels don't even have Andrew Heaney, who was really good in short stint. Really good in a short stint, I think it was 2015 or so. But I, it's it's all through the pitching there. You can yeah. see marginal offensive improvements, but people are really writing the pitching, even though a ton of them either need improvements or a lot of recovery to really break right. They could challenge, but I can't. But I see them. I can't see it. Even like it's far less than what I see Texas ads. Yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be far less than 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 what the uh, the sum of their parts is on on a piece of paper um, for sure right now, and for all the reasons that you stated. Um, how do you have the playoff teams playing out in the American League? Uh, give me your division winners and your wild cards. Uh, Boston, Cleveland, Houston for the division winners, and for wild card for. God, man, that's just that's just shuffling cups at this point. Um, I'll go Seattle for wild card one. Give them some excitement up here. Have having them host their first game in what at least a decade was it? Sixteen years. Jesus. Yep. Have, them post, have them post their first playoff game up here in sixteen years. Win or lose, it's gonna be a blast for them. Um, then you know what? I think I'll go with Toronto on this one. You, we'll go back to the uh, talk we had about their rotation. I think the rotation, the longevity of it. And the just how just how high the floor is with that rotation. There's not much they can re- there's they can't there's not much they can regress from that. That rotation's just really good all around and there's not a lot of risk. So I'll go Toronto as my second wild card. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, the reasoning is solid. I have it almost the same. I've got it as Red Sox, Cleveland, 
um, Texas, and then I actually have uh, both wildcard teams coming from the AL West, Houston and Seattle. So we both agree that Seattle breaks their 16-year run of futility here. Mm-hmm. I, I really like what DePoto's done with them. I've always liked Jerry DePoto, and it made me hate the Angels a little bit more when they when Socha and Arde Moreno kind of squeezed him out. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad he I'm glad that a team hired him to let him do his thing. Let him do his thing, which is apparently wheel and deal like no one other before. Yeah, he made like 40-something moves since he's been uh, in charge of that team. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and then, I mean, it, help, it helps when you have like breakouts on your team like James Paxton, who for some reason now throws like, who sits 97 from the left side. And like, I mean, I guess that was a fueling to trade Tywan Walker to the D-backs. But I am excited for seeing Paxton where the Mariners can go with him at the helm. You know what? Paxton's really good, but I hope I never hear his name again because I don't know how much fantasy baseball you play, but <laughs> fantasy baseball circles have been touting Paxton all spring, and it's driving me nuts. He carried me to a champ. He I didn't win the championship, but he carried me to a championship when he came back uh, last year. I won like nine straight games to get there, and I, then I lost in the championship. But he, along with Rick Porcello, somehow being on my team i don't even remember how he got there but uh (laughs) i didn't draft him i think i picked him up but uh he and paxton basically like led my team to the playoffs and the promise and almost to the promised land last year so i was excited well i i hope he i hope he does it again i just worry about the uh, injury issues with that guy and to call him a sleeper at this point going for what he's going for in drafts is uh probably probably an overstatement bit far-fetched yeah yeah um so let's let's do some fill in the blanks here. I'm going to give you a statement and you're going to fill in the blank um, as I do it, and then I'll after you give yours, I'll give mine. So, okay. The Red Sox will make the postseason if blank. The latter half of the rotation and the lineup actually contribute because you're already you're already very sure that we, like when we talked about the first part of the lineup. We're pretty much sure the first five or six guys are going to be great hitters. We know they're going to be good this year, barring injury or some unforeseen event. So what you're looking for is anything from the latter half. It's guys like Sandoval uh, for pitching, guys like Drew Pomerantz. He got a bunch of whiffs last year, but everything else was hard contact. So we don't know which way he's going to go there. Uh, if both of those, if the latter half of those actually give us some value, some tangible value, not just stuff like, oh, well, he – Oh, he's a good teammate. Just stuff that'll actually contribute on the field, like stuff like stuff like Warp, stuff like True Average, stuff like just things that benefit the team on just statistically and at least with wins. If they can at least show, if they can show up and not just outperform projections, but just play decently, just play well, I think the Red Sox make the playoffs easily. They just slide right in there. Yeah, uh, so so we had almost the same answer, but I looked at it from a different perspective. I said if Sale and Porcello both make 30 starts. So I'm actually banking on the top two guys there to be healthy the entire year, and I'm I'm less optimistic, I guess, than you are that, that the back end of that rotation can stay healthy. I still think that you're going to have to mix and match at some point with the terrible depth that the Red Sox have. But as long as those top two do what they're supposed to do, I think that they'll be able to um, patchwork things together, maintain a bullpen that doesn't get completely burnt out as long as those guys are going like seven innings or more. 
uh, each start out there, and I think that they'll be able to sneak in with that. In the scenario that you paint, I think the Red Sox would win like 99 games uh, yeah. if if the the back end guys contribute. But I think if these two guys at the front of your rotation give you exactly what they should, um, you sneak into the playoffs kind of regardless of what a shitstorm the back end is. Yeah, I can I can definitely see that. I mean, the back end, I, I'm obviously a little bit more optimistic there because you still have guys like Eduardo Rodriguez, who Corey wrote about on Friday, who are who still have a lot of talent there. There's a lot of talent that's slowly turning into like just big league skill. And Pomeranz did show a lot of potential. I, it might not even be potential at this point. It might just be skill last year before the Red Sox traded for him. So there there's a lot there. There's a lot. It's not latent anymore. It's not hidden anywhere. But I think there's a lot there that people won't give them credit for, that there's a real chance they could actually be decent or good. So the depth is awful. I think it's kind of always going to be there because when you're number six, when you're number when six and seven end up being Stephen Wright and Rowan Elias, you're always going to have the gripes about the starting rotation. And with how the Red Sox roster is, you don't you're not getting a bunch of free agents coming your way anyway because I don't think they'll get playing time. So it's they've got to make do with what they've got, and. Honestly, if you're gonna roll, if you're gonna roll the dice, I think with Erod and and Pomeranz, those are the two guys you want to do it with. Yeah, I, I think that Pomeranz and Erod definitely have that ability there. Like you said, there's a lot more in the tank. I mean, th- those guys can be very, very good major league number three starters if they're healthy and they pitch like they're mm-hmm. supposed to. And in that scenario, the Red Sox run away with this thing. Absolutely. Oh yeah, it's. It's not like they jo- they they Usain Bolt jog to the finish line while looking back, pretty much. Yeah, totally. Um, the Red Sox will not make the postseason if blank. Uh, this is gonna come down to one guy, uh, and I'm probably gonna say this answer later too. If Paley Ramirez doesn't hit for power, they're kind of screwed. He is the one true guy they need to hit for power, even though even though Mookie Betts can, but we're pretty much. But with his aging curve and how we've seen him hit, he's pretty much guaranteed to at least give you a lot of pop. With Hanley Ramirez, even with that amazing second half he had last year, he was I think he was I like attributing the entire eleven game win streak in the September of last year to him because of how ridiculous he was. But if he cannot hit for power, at least at a like seventy five percent of what he was in the second half of last year, I think the Red Sox are gonna have some real struggles. Because I don't know where that, where else they're gonna get that du- else they're gonna get that doubles and home run power out of that lineup unless they're gonna trade for another one, and then start and then that comes into the whole avalanche of you've already depleted the farm system. Who else are you gonna trade to get it that's worth anything? So it's if Hanley Ramirez doesn't really hit for power at least at a fraction of what he did last year, I think the Red Sox are in trouble. So to the listeners out there, we did not discuss these ahead of time. <laughs> I had Hanley Ramirez is out for an extended period of time is the reason okay. why the Red Sox don't make the postseason. So we both agree that Hanley mm-hmm. Ramirez's bat is just pivotal to this season's success. Um, he is the de facto replacement to Ortiz, and I know that you could argue that, no, the real replacement for Ortiz is the addition of sales war to the team. And, yeah, that's mm-hmm. great. But from an offensive <laughs> standpoint, like, he is. Um, so – I'm 100% with you. I don't know how much more I can add there, but if Hanley doesn't Hanley like he did last year, um, this team is in a world of hurt. Yeah, they don't have any other big bopper like Ortiz, and there isn't going to be another Ortiz. I think I think we've gone over that, I don't know, a million times between Red Sox fans over the winter, but there isn't going to be another Ortiz just to make do with what you've got. 
But right now the Red Sox only have one true big bopper in their lineup, or just a prototypical big bopper, I guess, and that's Hanley Ramirez. And if he's going to be out or if he ends up just being inept at hitting the ball a long way, the Red Sox are going to hit some stumbles, and it might open the door for Toronto and Baltimore to gain some ground. Yep, and those teams could take advantage of it in a heartbeat, especially with the stability that Toronto has in that rotation. So, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Um, The next one here, I'm going to uh, ask you, what player on the Red Sox will be the biggest reason for their success in 2017? An individual player. Um... And it doesn't have to be the MVP. Like, you don't have to say bets or anything like that. Like, what what guy do you see as the most instrumental, I, I suppose? And we may have just answered that with Hanley, but... Uh, for struggles, yeah, maybe Hanley. But for success, I'm going to go with Eduardo Rodriguez. Uh, Keith Law likes him. He thinks he's a huge breakout candidate this year. Uh, but he was really, really good in the second half of last year. One game that really sticks in my mind, we'll go back to James Paxson on this, is when the Red Sox came up to Seattle... And it was basically a Eduardo Rodriguez-James Paxton duel for eight innings. That really kind of opened my eyes to say, oh, well, oh, my God, this guy might be good now. And he added a slider to his repertoire, which for some reason he didn't have as a left-hander, which, okay. I thought that would, <laughs> be, I thought that would almost be a required thing for left-handers to have. Yeah, you'd think so. And uh, he, he integrated that into his mix. And for probably three or four starts, People were whiffing like crazy. He was having really good runouts. The one bad start I think he had in the second half was against the Dodgers, where he stopped throwing it entirely, and they hammered him in four innings. So if he continues mixing in that slider into his repertoire and pitches at the level that he did in the second half of last season, he could be the one guy, the one, the one guy that just pushes them up, that just keeps them in front for the entire year. I love that pick, by the way. Um, when Eduardo Rodriguez is using his changeup and his slider effectively, um, he's just downright filthy because we know what a good fastball he has for a lefty, one of the, the hardest fastballs in the game. Um, and when he mixes his pitches correctly and when he locates, the guy is awesome. Um, so I love that pick. But the guy who I went with here uh, was Xander Bogarts because I think that Bogarts um, – Although he's had a lot of success early in his career, I mean, he he tends to um, drop off at different points. And last year we saw him drop off in the second half after having the great first half. But I just I still believe that there's more in the tank here, and I think that there's a gear. Well, maybe he he will never put together a season quite like Mookie Betts did last year. I mm-hmm. think that there is a Betts-like season. Uh, in his future, and I think that that could come as soon as this year. I think he could be uh, in the conversation for the American League MVP um, if he takes the strides that he can. I see more power in there. Uh, I see a high average for the entire season, uh, and I see a player that when he's going correctly, uh, barely has any holes whatsoever. Yeah. I one thing I, I forgot to mention it, but one thing. Was that when he one thing he changed when he started playing full time in the majors was instead of being a bit more pulling the ball more he started spraying the ball all fields and that kind of sapped the power kind of sapped what it kind of sapped what uh kind of sapped whatever boon he got from just swinging at stuff in his wheelhouse and I think we could see a power outbreak if he starts pulling stuff more waiting for stuff on middle end then using his swing just to golf it out um, but yeah I can I can definitely see. Bogarts being the reason for their success because he, him being up and down, it's not as bad as Jackie Bradley's ups and downs, 
but they're definitely notable. And when he's and when he's down, it's it kind of puts a it, it kind of puts a damper on the Red Sox offense. Yeah, it just doesn't go the same way when he's uh, when he's in a slump. Um, conversely, who will be the biggest reason for the Red Sox struggles here in 2017? I did already say Hanley Ramirez for this one, but uh, I think one if there's going to be anybody that's going to be responsible for struggles, I think it might be Kimbrel. Even though I oh my god, dude, I have that too. <laughs> that's I, so funny. I. Uh... <laughs> It just him him on his it's not exactly a gentle decline considering the peaks he was at but him slowly kind of declining has kind of put me wary because when he when his fastball's flat and not moving side to side it is really really scarily hittable how that is and we saw it in the first half of last year when he was was he dealing with any injury for like the first two months or something and then he came back in three weeks yeah, I, I believe it was a knee injury, and he, he wasn't throwing the curveball a lot, too. And then he could, he when he would throw it, he wouldn't locate it right, and hitters would just simply ignore it. Yeah. Like, he would either, it would either, it would be the knee, or he'd get so amped up that he'd throw something into the net. It was, it was kind of ridiculous. Like, one thing that I, that I vividly remember is him serving up a fastball down the middle of the plate to Colby Rasmus in Houston, and Rasmus hitting it to Mars. So. He the home runs are probably always going to be a problem because that's the only way you're really going to touch up guys like that if they're not going wild. But he also has bouts of wildness, and if all that comes together in a perfect storm, then it could be really bad for the Red Sox bullpen. Yeah, I could see him being the sole reason for like five or six losses throughout the season, where they come in with the lead and he just craps it away in a mm-hmm. terrible uh, series of events that leaves me unable to sleep that night. Um, <laughs> It's, it's so funny how, how on the same page we are right now. Um, but with that in mind, I'm going to go with David Price um, because he was kind of the second guy that I was thinking about here. Um, if David Price comes back and he just pitches badly, um, uh-huh. I think that that is going to negatively affect the team um, because they're going to be relying on him uh, in pretty important spots. And if he's just kind of taking up space and delaying the the inevitable surgery or whatever it is, and he's still not able to locate his fastball and giving up a lot of home runs. Uh, he could leave the team uh, in some pretty big holes, and he might get the hook early in games as well. So uh, that's certainly a concern for me. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I hope he pitches well. I mean, he's not – he had a weird season last year where the first season his ERA and everything up front seemed bad, but all his peripherals were really good. And then later on the second half, everything up front looked really good, and then all his peripherals looked bad. It was. I hope he pitches because I guess I kind of want to see him return. He won't be. I don't think he'll be vintage Price anymore because I think that's long gone. But I kind of want to see him return to form a little bit. I want to see him do well because it's because he wanted to come up here and he's pretty much committed to staying here throughout the whole the entirety of his massive contract. So I want to see him do well because I think. I think he does too, and it's really fun to see when he's on because it's almost because he's almost like a cold-blooded killer up there. He'll strike a guy out and just look, and then just look in a different direction for five minutes. It's it's fun watching him pitch when he's on. Yeah, good David Price is a really fun thing to watch. It just feels like it's been a long time. Um, who do you think will be the team MVP this year? Who I don't want to go with the obvious and bets, so I'll go. You know, I'll go with the new. I'll go with Chris Sale on this one. Dude, you sniped uh-huh. me again. You sniped me again. <laughs> I, I mean, he, had, 
him was probably he's like the day like in terms of value in terms of warp he is the david ortiz replacement and to see him to see a pitcher on that level to see a pitcher that good in that probably the best pitcher on the in a red sox uniform since pedro and uh it's but not comparable let's just make that clear <laughs> not even remotely comparable uh, to pedro <laughs> It's it's gonna be I it, I I guess like I guess I can't understate how happy I am to see Chris Sale like the the Red Sox the Red Sox fan base's collective dream of dream of trading for a big pitcher from a from another AL team like Felix Hernandez from the Mariners from like 2010 or and Chris Sale recently and it actually happened I still can't believe that but I think he's a team MVP because he is going to be the one that. It's going to be the workhorse, and it's not—he's not just going to eat innings. He's going to just destroy opposing lineups. And if the and with the bullpen being as it is, he doesn't have to pitch—he doesn't have to pitch nine innings a game like he did last year when he when he said that he did that to give the bullpen in Chicago a boost. He can just go purely for strikeouts this time, go six or seven innings, getting ten strikeouts, and then let Joe Kel, Joe Kelly and Craig Kimbrell clean up. I, I think he can switch back to his old ways of just going for strikeouts all the time and watch and watch as like the Cy, watch as the Cy Young accolades flow in. Yeah, um, I love Chris Sale this year. I think he's got the right demeanor for the market, and this stuff is just incredible. And this spring, I think he's got a 26 to 2 K ratio to walks, so um, he is the real deal. And I'm very excited to watch a real ace in action in Boston. Um, like you said, we haven't really seen one of those in a little while. Um, I guess since I had him, I'm going to go with Jackie Bradley Jr. Um, Betts is the obvious choice here, um, and I think Bogarts will have a huge year. But I think if Jackie Bradley Jr. can repeat what he did last year, um, there's a good argument to be made that that's the most valuable thing that he can add to this team. And he plays incredible defense, and if he can be right there with the power uh, and perhaps be a little bit more consistent, he can really lengthen out that lineup and make the team incredibly difficult to deal with from an offensive standpoint uh, while contributing uh, otherworldly defense on the other side. So um, I really love his, his, his whole package when it's all working right there. Oh yeah. When it, when it's all clicking, when all the gears are turning, it's, it's amazing. Like he kind of gets overshadowed for center fielders in terms of defense with Kevin Kiermaier being in the same division and obviously center fielders because, you, you know, you've got Mike Trout. You've got Mike Trout always patrolling out there, like basically sitting in the MVP throne for a while. Yep. Uh, and you've got – Kevin uh, Pillar, too, with great defense. Adam Jones with great defense. Exactly. Well, it's, it, there's, a, there's just so many center fielders out there that he kind of gets – he kind of he gets drowned out in the noise with how, with how many times you see Kevin Kiermaier on highlight reels, how many times you see Adam Jones doing like a commercial or something because he's so marketable. It's – uh, and then you have Mike Trout, who they're finally starting to at least advertise a lot for. Um, he's still really, really good, and sometimes he doesn't get the recognition he deserves. But even if he goes up and down, those ups are spectacular, and they can last for a month or two. So if he if he extends that in any way, I think we could see a really good season from him. I love no nothing more than seeing somebody try and uh, go from third to home on Jackie Bradley Jr. when he catches the ball. <laughs> It is you. You already want to jump out of your seat. Like you're already leaning forward, feet on the floor when he's when something starts to happen like that. <laughs> yeah, you know he's gonna throw a hundred mile an hour dart. Uh, <laughs> that guy's amazing. Um, 
will any Red Sox players win individual awards? You kind of alluded to it earlier with, uh, with, with Chris Sale, but do you think that we will see any of those individual end-of-season awards, whether it be Rookie of the Year from Ben Benintendi, uh, Cy Young from Chris Sale, or MVP from Betts or someone else? Uh, Sale and Benintendi, I think, do. Benintendi, I think, is runaway right now. I don't think there's really another comparable rookie out there that has the potential that Benintendi was. I mean, Baseball Respective gave him a four-war projection on average. So it's – I think he – I don't think it's a runaway for uh, Benintendi, but I do think he wins it because just – he's such a polished, well-rounded hitter that it's almost hard for him to – it's almost hard to see him going into a slump even when pitchers have the book out on him. So I, I think he wins Rookie of the Year, Sale, Cy Young, when, because Sale can finally switch to pure strikeout mode and go absolutely bonkers. And so I think he's in a big guys, market, so he's going to get some more recognition this year than he ever has. Exactly, and it's going to be – and it shouldn't matter, but he's going to be on a winning team that will probably go to the playoffs. So he'll probably he'll get a lot more recognition for that too, especially if he's like best – especially if he's the best pitcher and looks like he's leading him there. Mm-hmm. So I think those two guys definitely come home with the hardware. Yeah, I, I'm with you on those those guys. I wrote down Sale Cy Young and Ben Attendi, Rookie of the Year. Um, I think that Betts probably finishes top three for MVP consideration, but I'm going to guess that he is behind uh, both Trout and Machado uh, this year. I just think Machado's going to have a monster year again. Um, and, and Betts will, will come close but won't repeat what he did last year. Um Last thing I want to ask you before we get to uh, the our, our final predictions for uh, the World Series, how far will the Red Sox make it this year? I think they'll get to the ALCS. Um, I, but I think they'll probably hit a hot Cleveland squad who will, who will actually have Kluber, Carrasco, and Salazar pitching at once. And if those guys if those guys are on their game, no. I'm, put, I'm even including the New York Mets in this. No rotation can beat them. No other team can beat them because those three guys are so good. Their stuff is so great that if they're all on at the same time and if it comes to October and they're still going, I don't think they're beatable. And then I, you factor in Allen and Miller coming in after they come out of the game. Oh, yeah. that's And Terry Francona's liberal use of them in whatever inning he needs them to be. So... I think they run it. I think they run into Cleveland. Probably lose four. Probably lose four one, four two. So it's. I, I do think they'll finally they'll take a step from going beyond the divisional series to the championship series, but they'll run into their nemesis, Cleveland. They might give them a run for the money. There's a chance they could, but I see Cleveland at least with their pitching staff dominating the Red Sox. Yeah, I also have the Red Sox making it to the ALCS in losing to Cleveland. Um, yeah, it, it, for all the reasons that you stated, I just think that they're they're a slightly more complete team this year. Um, I definitely could see in a series um, Chris Sale beating whoever he goes up against, likely Kluber in that scenario. Um, but I don't see a guy like Porcello being able to match up with their lineup as well as a guy like a healthy Carrasco would match up with the Red Sox. And then the back end of that bullpen, I mean, we it's telling enough that we both picked Craig Kimbrell as the guy who <laughs> could contribute to the struggles of this team in 2017 in a pretty big way. Um, yeah. And no one feels that way about Cody Allen and Andrew Miller. Like when those guys come into the game, you're pretty much fist pumping, dropping the mic and whopping, walking off. Uh, at that point because they just never give up any runs so that's the big difference in the club clubs to me 
Um, yeah, uh, with Andrew Miller, you're not watching to see if they win if they win the game. You're just watching to see Andrew Miller pitch. Yeah, exactly. And he should have been a Red Sox. <laughs> I don't know, Eduardo Rodriguez is a nice return, especially if he breaks out. True, true. He, he definitely is. Um, give me your National League uh, playoff teams, and then we will talk about uh, our predictions for the World Series and, and get out of here. Um, I'll go with Washington. It's gonna, the division races almost seem so clear-cut already, but I'll go with Washington, uh, Chicago, and los angeles i really really like los angeles this year if any if any one of their pitchers can stay healthy they can do a lot better but right now it looks like the injury bugs there to stay so who knows um with the wild card uh, i think i'll go with the giants and i want to say the mets but it's the Mets being the Mets. There's always something that goes wrong catastrophically sometime during the season, whether it's Terry Collins completely mismanaging players to about 50 UCLs exploding to someone getting suspended on like on PED use or domestic abuse or domestic violence. It's there's something that always goes wrong with them. Yeah. And they're one of the oldest lineups in baseball, if not the oldest lineup in baseball. Yeah. I can, I mean, I, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, hope that, um, God, Cabrera can as Dribble Cabrera. There we go. I, that's yes. such a good name. I should remember that. <laughs> Cabrera, uh, will break out kind of like Daniel Murphy did. There's a, a lot of the a lot of the peripherals are the same. The signifiers are there. The flags are up. Um, but they Travis Darno hasn't really done much. He's always injured, and when he's not, and then every time he tries to play injured, it's always worse than you expect. So, I, and then, like, if we go over to the Central, I really don't see the Cardinals really making it this year. Wainwright looks done. Uh, Waka might be number three at his ceiling and just stay there for a while. Like, he'll hit his ceiling, but he won't really go much higher than that very often. No Reyes there really kills them, too. Carlos Martinez is great, but I think that's one of the few things they got. Like, uh, Piscotti's good. He'll be a really solid outfielder for a while. But they don't really have a second base solution. Colton Wong wants out instead of being platooned. Um, Yadi Merlina's kind of on the down, starting to get on the downslope a little bit. And their defense is just not great at all. And Matheny is very resistant to the front office saying, hey, you should play this guy. He's statistically better. And Matheny just ignores it lately. And that's going to be a huge point of contention as the season goes on if they start losing a lot. So, so I, It sounds I, like you've talked yourself into the Mets. It really kind of does. It's gonna either the Mets or if they the Rockies could surprise me. I really really like Nolan Arenado. I think he wins MVP for the NL. But and they have a couple. They have a really good young pitcher in John Gray and Tyler Anderson's really Tyler Anderson's got some potential there. It's a shame. I hope uh, well wishes to Chad Bettis as he tries to recover from I think it was cancer. Yep. Really wish he was still back in that rotation. He was doing well too, um, but it's to me it's it's either between the Mets or the Rockies. There, I don't see anybody else really challenging. I don't know if Pittsburgh ha- I don't know if Pittsburgh really has much left there either. Yeah, I actually have the Pirates finishing ahead of the Cardinals behind the Cubs in that division. But I have uh, Washington winning the NL East. I have the Cubs winning the Central. I have the Dodgers winning the West, and I have the Giants and the New York Mets as my wild card teams. Uh, and for my World Series, I have the Cleveland Indians over the Los Angeles Dodgers in 
six games. You finally cite me back on this one. I did too. I, I, <laughs> I think the Indians finally break it this year, and then hopefully they get and hopefully in celebration they get rid of all their Chief Wahoo stuff. Hopefully, hopefully. Um, but it's the Cleveland looks so complete and so well rounded this year, and the Dodgers, even with Corey Seager, even with all their good pieces, I mean. <sighs> Their starting rotation just so sketch right now beyond Clayton Kershaw and even even Rich Hill because Rich Hill, you're anything past 100 innings from him or anything past 100 innings from him is it's gravy. You're that's good. You're basically you're not banking on a full season from him. You're banking on 100 innings and then anything more than that is surplus. And the Dodgers, I don't know why they can't get healthy pitchers, but that's probably going to be their downfall again this year because I think. Uh, I think Casimir might start the season on the DL or out of the rotation or something. It's They've got a lot of issues with the guys starting the games that aren't Clayton Kershaw, and that might be their downfall, even if everything else is so good. Yeah, I don't see them being able to match up with the depth that Cleveland has either. And when it, when it gets deep in games, it's Cleveland's going to take it away. So you know, we are we are yet in, green, in agreement again. Um I want to thank you for joining me this time, uh, Brett. This is the first time we've we've had a, we've been on the podcast together, but clearly uh, we agree on a lot of things. So uh, this is going to be a good pairing, I I, I think, for the future. Um, I'm going to do a little bit of housekeeping here. Um, everybody out there, you can find us on iTunes and on Stitcher. Uh, you can log on and rate and review us there. Uh, please do so. We always appreciate those ratings and reviews. Um, you can follow Brett on Twitter at, at @bacowit. You can follow me on Twitter at, at @devjake, uh, and we will be with you next week at the exact same time. Um, so enjoy your week, enjoy your opening day, and uh, go socks.